together again tonight. It's good as we look out to see that you made it a point to come back. I do want to point out, as always, we are so thankful to have visitors. I can look around and see a few. Uh, one strikes in my mind. Bailey actually grew up going to church camp with me when I was a young little boy. So I don't know if she's here to blackmail me or what, but uh, uh, we're glad she's here. And her husband as well. I haven't met him yet, but I'm going to afterwards. All right, tonight, uh, by default, uh, Miss or Sister April Dunning was talking to me. It might have been Monday or a couple days before that. But anyways, we were talking, and she said, would you speak on fasting? And so tonight, we've got the allotted time that we have. Uh, we're going to take time to look at tonight the subject of fasting. Uh, fasting is something that is a, a special thing. It's something that took place, and you can see many biblical examples of it. Uh, we can find examples both in the Old Testament as well as the New, and today as we examine it, we're going to notice uh, many things about fasting. As I begin, before I, before I start, I think of in Leviticus, in the Day of Atonement, back in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29 through 31, uh, it talks about there, it says, afflicting your souls, which is where they're fasting would have began when they they started the fasting process and so if you want to jot that down in your notes I didn't write it anywhere in the lesson but I will mention it on a couple occasions but that's back in Leviticus chapter 16 it's verse 29 through 31 and that is uh, the institution of the day of atonement but as we'll look today we'll see the pattern within uh, the New Testament and that'll be the first I mean the pattern within the Bible and that'll be the first thing we'll look at now as I broke this down into a pattern I went with some simple questions, some that you'll probably be easily able to remember. Because I started with who, and then I went to what, and then I went to when, where, and why. Uh, now as we go on with the lesson, we'll look at some more, but as we consider the pattern, I want to first begin with who. Within the pattern of fasting, both Old Testament and New, we see uh, examples of people that fasted. Now. You can go back to the Old Testament, and there's a story that rings out in my mind in Jonah chapter 3. Obviously, understanding, we've studied many times about Jonah, and Jonah, well, he was told to go to a place called Nineveh, and he was told to teach them, and as we go throughout the story, we see that he's thrown into the water, and he's swallowed by a great fish, and then it comes to the end, and Jonah goes and does as he told and that's uh, hurtful to him because he really wasn't that excited for the people of Nineveh to have the opportunity to repent. But as you go to Jonah chapter 3, you see at the end of the story that it just so happens Jonah goes and he preaches and teaches just what he was told to do. And you know, sometimes people listen to the message and they receive it and sometimes they don't. But in the book of Jonah, it goes about as absolutely positive. It went as purely good as is possible. In Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth 
and cry mightily to God, yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? All right, within this, this first who that we consider, within the story of Jonah, we see that it's a whole nation. All of those in Nineveh, there's a decree that goes out and it says, look, we're going to fast. Why did they fast? Because we understand that they realized they'd messed up. They realized that they had been living in a wrong way and we see their penitent heart. We see their repentance and they say, let's fast, put on sackcloth, sit in ashes, which is often throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that's kind of the custom of fasting. It comes along with afflicting their souls with the sackcloth, something that's not comfortable. Uh, and it goes along with sitting in ashes, something that's not your recliner. We see the affliction that takes place to the person. But first off, as we consider the who, notice that it's a whole nation. Now, not only is it nations, but we'll see in Acts chapter 13 that there's a group of people that fast. In Acts chapter 13, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. And it says, now in the church that was at Antioch. Now, don't get the idea it's the whole church, but yet it says there is a church in Antioch. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there was certain prophets and teachers. So we got Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And it says, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. All right, once again, we see fasting taking place. Uh, I will point out in verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord, I believe that uh, ministering has more to do with doing service to the Lord than actually like, as we might understand it, preaching to the Lord. I don't believe that's... I believe service, doing service, would be a more pure understanding or a, uh, a better way to put it, I guess, in in our English language for understanding what was taking place. But we see here that we've got a group. We've got these people that are together in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, and all these people devote themselves to fasting. Now, within their fasting, as it concludes, we see that they were called out, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, I mean, yeah, Barnabas and Saul at this time. It says, uh, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. We see they're sent out on a work after their fast, but notice for this point, who? We've got a nation, that the nation of Nineveh and Jonah, and here we have a group of individuals that fast together for a purpose uh, as they did service to the Lord. All right, then also New Testament in Luke chapter 2. We see it done individually. In Luke chapter 2 in verse 37, we find a, a widow lady who was devoting herself to the Lord. She was living in the temple. And in Acts chapter 2, I mean Luke chapter 2, and verse 37, it says, And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but it says, Serve God with fastings and prayer night and day. So as we consider the pattern, we consider the who. Understand we have groups as a nation, that fast, we have groups as a group that fast, and then we have an individual woman uh, that we see fasting. There are many other times throughout Scripture that you can see separate groups. So if I can come to a conclusion on groups, my conclusion would be there's no set group. It doesn't have to be just you. It could be you and someone else. It could be you and a larger group. 
Uh, but within the pattern, uh, so far within fasting, we see who? We see these people that fasted. All right, now we'll talk about what. Uh, what's very simple because we're talking about fasting. Uh, I picked out a verse to look at in Psalm chapter 69. In Psalm chapter 69, uh, beginning in verse 10, it says, When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. It says, I also made sackcloth my garment. And he says, I became a byword to them, talking, to those, talking about those that were talking down about him. And we see in Psalm 69, within the what, within fasting, I believe you can understand every time that fasting is something of afflicting your souls. Uh, afflicting yourselves rather than thinking of it as a party and something that's joyful and great and uh, this is something I'm really wanting to do because this is going to be fun for me we need to understand that fasting is something that took place to help devote the person to their concentration on doing the service to the Lord doing the uh, thinking purely about the problem at hand or uh, sometimes someone else's problem at hand but they're each time whether it be they were for they were being bothered by sin or whatever it was we see within fasting the affliction that the person takes in order to focus more clearly their prayer and their life to whatever they're fasting for all right now notice within within fasting at the beginning I do believe that Obviously, we're talking about the Day of Atonement, understanding that the fast is a day to afflict the soul to express the sorrow for sin. Uh, within the Day of Atonement, they would have understand that atonement was made for them. And so within that of fasting come into, coming into play, they would say, we understand that we messed up. Uh, and so it wasn't... Okay, within the fasting, it must express a true sorrow for sin, and it does not promote the... If, if what the individual is doing does not promote putting away sin, putting aside sin, and giving themselves to God, then it's really not a fast at all. Uh, so within fasting, understand that it is something, some type of affliction on the individual in order to purely concentrate on the good or the deed at hand. All right, so what I kept real short, but now let's look at the when. When does one fast? Uh, there are many times that we'll notice it taking place within Scripture. And the when happened at all different points in time. Now what I'm referring to is it happened before calamity, it happened after calamity, or it happened during calamity. Now not always is it necessarily calamity, but it was some type of big event. So let's go ahead and look at 2 Samuel chapter 1. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, we see that we've got a group of people that gathered together because there was a death that happened. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. We understand that obviously uh, Saul and Jonathan being super important people for them, Saul who was a king, uh, and Jonathan his son that die, we see a fast goes throughout the land. A fast is among the people 
because of their death. So one thing that we see a fast taking place, taking place it took place after a death. Uh, most commonly, I believe when we look at fasting, I believe it's directly related to sin. Now it's related to death, we see in 2 Samuel chapter 1, but the, if you look at all the times that fasting takes place, I would say usually it has to do with sin, more commonly than not. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4. One of these examples, it says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Within understanding, understanding the seriousness of sin, we see that he devotes himself in prayer and fasting. Daniel chapter 9, once again, we see another instance where because of sin, fasting takes place. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 3 and following, it says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Now notice what he says. He says, We have sinned and committed iniquity and have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. All right, so once again, when you consider the win, we see it was after. The sin's taken place, and they fast because they say, you know, I want forgiveness. God, I messed up. And it's not about me, so they weren't having a party, but rather they devoted themselves to God by prayer by fasting, by sackcloth and ashes, we see the affliction to the individual. All right, so we see that it takes place after. Notice also that fasting took place before sometimes. I think of Esther in chapter 4 and verse 16. You think about Esther and the great things that she did, the great, uh, the great leader that she was. And she's getting ready to make this this huge life or death, she's going to have this huge life or death appointment. She's going to meet the king for her people, and it's uh, if the king says okay, then everything's great. But if she goes and the king says absolutely not, you shouldn't be here, then we see that death can transpire as well. So in Esther chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me saying, Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And then you really see the spirituality when she says, And if I perish, I perish. If it's a life or death situation, as, as it's taking place here, I believe you can really relate to the purpose of fasting. She says, This is a big deal. Like, I might do this and lose my life, and so I need all of you to fast with me as we uh, beseech God on my behalf. So in Esther chapter 4, verse 16, before she goes to the king, we see fasting. Now in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see another instance which I wrote as before, maybe you could write during or even after, but it says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Looking at verse 16 through 17, it says, David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. 
So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. All right, this is before the son died, but it was during the son being sick, and it was after David had committed sin, and obviously we find him in this predicament. So within this we see probably Deering would be more proper to say as he's praying and fasting on behalf of the child that he's afraid is going to lose his life and we know ultimately that uh, that transpires but once again fasting takes place on David's behalf all right now also Deering now I believe this one would be the first time that we see fasting taking place now as this fasting takes place in Exodus chapter 34 as we consider the deering, I understand that uh, it was a special circumstances be, circumstance because at this point we've got Moses that goes up on the mount and we understand that Moses is there with God. So God being the life giver uh, in a way might have provided a type of sustenance to him just from being in his presence. Uh, and what I mean by that is, by the spiritual nature of God, I'm not sure that we would ever need food or drink uh, because being in the presence of God could just be that grand. But uh, as we notice here in Exodus chapter 34, and verse 28, Moses goes up on the mount. He was there with the Lord 40 days, 40 nights. He didn't eat, he didn't drink, and he wrote the t on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. All right, you can also look at uh, Luke chapter 4 in the New Testament, and we see there a very similar fasting because Jesus went and he fasted for 40 days. Uh, within his fasting there, we see that in the midst of his fasting, and as he's completed his 40 days, we see here comes Satan to tempt him one last time as he was tempted while he was fasting, and we see the temptation that's recorded at the end, at the, the final of his 40 days, is Satan says, Look, now that you're really good and hungry, what about some bread? So if you look at Luke chapter 2, I mean Luke chapter 4, we see once again during the fasting uh, of Jesus, we see temptation. All right, so we've got the who, we've got the what, we've got the when. Now let's notice the where. All right. Where would be very simple. I believe if you look, we mentioned Luke chapter 2 earlier, the widow. The widow in Luke chapter 2 in verse 37 was in the temple. Now with understanding that she was in the temple, understand this is basically the way of saying at her house. It was just where she was presently. Uh, if you lived in the temple, then obviously when you're at home, that would be the same thing as the area where she fasted. So she... she fasted at her home or fasted at the temple in Luke 2 and verse 37. Uh, we can look at Ezra chapter 8. In Ezra chapter 8 and verse 21, as they're traveling, they are next to the river. And in Ezra 8, 21, it says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. So I believe within the where... If we could come to a conclusion on where fasting took place, it was wherever they were. Uh, we see the widow woman that was at home or at the temple, and we see uh, in Ezra 8 that they did it right at the river where they were presently 
they stopped and fasted. I don't believe there would be anywhere that was the set pattern. They had to do it here. All right, finally, let's look at why. And then we'll get into the rest, so we got to hurry. All right, so within why, uh, in Psalm 35, verse 13 through 14, you can notice that one reason is for sickness. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25 through uh, 27, you'll see that there was sorrow for evil doing. Uh, I like there as you look at Ahab, you see Ahab that was, uh, well, it's recorded that he himself did terrible wickedness in the sight of the Lord. He, he was... He did very abominably, being we understand probably the name Jezebel more clearly or possibly uh, it's more well known than that of Ahab. Through the influence of Jezebel, Ahab got in a lot of trouble. And then as we come to the end in verse 27 of 1 Kings 21, Ahab fasts because he said, I really messed things up. Okay, so we see uh, fasting for sickness. We see it for sorrow. We also see, see it for security. In Ezra chapter 8, verse 22, there they were saying, look, our God is able to protect us. And they said, well, I'd hate to go back after saying that my God has the power to protect me. I would hate to go back and say, hey, can you provide us some security? So in order to get security, they stop and they fast. And we see that God takes care of them. And then finally, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 29, we have a special instance here in Mark 9, 29, where you have a child that is demon-possessed and the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, how come, uh, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And he says something like this. He says, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, obviously, Jesus went up to him and he cast it out right away. But I would understand from that in Mark chapter 9 and verse 29, there is a substantial matter. That's what I called it. It's something that was really big. This, this problem, the, uh, the possessed child... Jesus calls to it and says, only by prayer and fasting. So within fasting, I would understand that usually it's something that's a big deal. Okay, let's go on to the purpose. Point number two. I'll make them quick. All right, fasting was not completed by the disciples. If you look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 through 17. In Matthew chapter 9, we see that Jesus' disciples aren't fasting and they're like... Uh, all right, Jesus, what's up with this? Uh, you know, <laughs> I've been a Pharisee my whole life. I've been a Jew. I grew up under the Jewish religion. And uh, what's up with your, your followers that aren't fasting? Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 14, he says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Verse 15, Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. As you go down in verse 16, it talks about the old garment and fixing it with the unshrunken cloth. You go down to verse 17, it talks about the new wine and the old wineskins. Uh, obviously that you don't mix the old and the new, but as we look at verse 15. Jesus says, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Understanding within their wedding occasion, within their, their weddings that took place, it was usually like a week-long feast, happy, joyful, big old fun time. All right, and so what Jesus says is, why is there a point for them to fast? Because I'm still here. 
Within fasting, fasting was not something that was just a, a jolly, happy time, but rather there was a devoted time where they devoted themselves to the Lord. So he said, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? There's no reason to be mourning. There's no reason to be crying because they had Jesus. But then Jesus says, as the, the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, and then they will fast. So we see that there's still a reason or a possibility, a purpose within fasting, even though still today. Uh, within that, he says, after the bridegroom was taken away. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5 that it includes that of depriving oneself. As you consider, as you consider all of the verses that we look at within Within fasting, fasting was something that was, that was respected because they held back for self in order to devote self to God. All right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, talking about the, the marriage relationship, it says, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Within the marriage relationship, they wouldn't just be having all the joys of life, during a time of fasting because they were devoting their minds and their hearts to the Lord. Fasting was used during the process of appointing elders in Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, if you look at verse 23, it says, uh, So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fastings, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I believe as you consider that, of the role of elder as you consider that of the seriousness of appointing one or uh, coming to a point where you have elders I think we can see a purpose or a reason why someone would say this is a huge decision and therefore I want to fast as I meditate and pray during this huge thing that's taking place uh, I believe within the church at Olive Branch it is still just as biblical today if we had a huge decision to make that we said we could fast about this and pray to ensure that the Lord's will is done, to ensure that the right men are chosen, to ensure that the best things can come out of this. And so we see in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23 as they appointed elders, fasting took place. We also see that fasting was used during repentance. You can look at Joel chapter 2 verse 12 and 13 and he says there, he says, rend your hearts and not your garments in verse 13. Now that brings us to the problems, the final point within fasting. There's a huge issue with fasting because the Pharisees and others had made fasting something where it was, check out how religious I am. Uh, did you notice that I was starving myself over here? Well, notice because... I'm religious. Since I'm really religious, I want you to understand I haven't drank any water all day. Because I'm really religious, I haven't been eating anything for over two weeks. It has nothing to do with that. Problems with fasting came in, and Jesus, uh, Jesus talks a lot about that within the New Testament because within fasting, it turned into something of showing I'm more religious than you are. Within every 
thing that we do for the Lord, we must understand that it's not to be seen by individuals, by people, but rather our acts of service, the things that we do for God are to be between us and God. The things that we do between, that we do while we're on this side of life, we can be rewarded for in the next, but you better hope that you don't get your reward for it while you're here. If you get all the praise from people while you're here, then understand you've received your reward. Go ahead as we consider the problems. You can look at Isaiah chapter 58. I'll let you do that later. In Isaiah chapter 58, as they were looking at the affliction of self, he says, hey, well, you, you're all caught up in showing how good you are. And they're saying, well, God, why didn't you hear us when we fasted? And then you go down through and he says, within verse 6 and 7, the point was, you're talking about fasting and showing how religious they were, but yet they had all these other people out there that were really destitute, destitute truly of food. They didn't have anything and they're rebuked for it. So within presenting themselves as religious and not being well, willing to help the others, uh, fasting became a problem. You can go ahead and look at that later in Isaiah chapter 58, uh, verse 3 through 7. Uh, I believe we'll get the point from it in Luke chapter 18 as well as Matthew chapter 6. But in Luke chapter 18, we have the same problem that I, re that I pointed to in Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. So in Luke chapter 18... As we understand in verse 9 and following, it says, And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they who are righteous and despise the others, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Obviously, we've got one that's really righteous and one that's thought not of as righteous. And it says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you I'm not with like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. And then he goes into patting his back and he said... I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have. He goes on to, to build himself up. Well, I believe we can understand you get your reward. You go down to verse 14 and Jesus says, I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, talking about the uh, tax collector, and he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we see a problem within fasting within the individual boasting in themselves. All right, one more that we'll look at, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> in verse 16 through 18, it says, Moreover, when you fast, he says, Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to them to be fasting. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. All right, so he says, When you fast... Don't be like them. So if we decide to fast, I believe there's good reason to fast when there's a big decision. I'm not saying that I've partaken in it, but we see when they do it, when they had something that was huge going on in their life, we see that they fasted, and Jesus rebukes them repeatedly because they did it so that people would look at them. If we fast for that purpose, it would 100% be wrong. So notice in verse 17, uh, laying rules upon it, he says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in a secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. All right, as we see the reward that takes place, 
God says, it's between me and you. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have a group of people that say we want to fast together. I believe by design as we consider the groups that did it, but it would still be between them and God. It wasn't something where they went out into the communities and they said, hey, everybody, did you notice me? Did you notice that I was fasting because I'm really, really righteous? Because I'm really, really religious? And God loves me more because I'm that way? That's the idea that we keep seeing that Jesus rebukes. Within that of the New Testament, we don't have the Day of Atonement where they're required to go and to afflict your souls as they recognize that of sin. We're not as those of the Jews where it says they fasted twice in the week. The, the Pharisees had a custom that on Monday and on Thursday every week they fasted. And part of that showed their spirituality, they would have said. And I believe oftentimes we want to ask the question, well, am I required to fast? I don't believe that there's any time in Scripture that we can come up with a day that you would be required to fast. But I think when you consider fasting, instead of thinking, do I have to, when there's a big decision in your life, is it something that you can do as an act of service, as a, a humbling oneself to request God's help in decision-making or in forgiveness? I believe it is just as biblical today to fast and give your heart and your service to God as it was in the Old Testament. I don't believe I can make a, a rule or a guideline that you and you and you and you and you have to do it. But if you choose to, I believe that's a great thing. All right, once again, tonight wasn't necessarily focused on helping you to understand more clearly the plan of salvation, but I do believe it was focused on helping you understand more clearly God's word. Within God's word, though, by design, we understand that Christ died. And within that death and that burial and resurrection, we need to follow the pattern. Just as Christ died, it's something that's required of us. It's time to get rid of sin. The death of the old man, the death of sin in our life, getting rid of it so that we can live for God. Just as we see that Christ was buried, we too were buried in the water to rise up to walk in newness of life. Just as Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. If you haven't given your life to Christ, make a change tonight. Do it now as we stand and sing.